feeling his body tensing for the impact. The way he might on the bike, some dickhead stepping out onto the road. Then came a jolt, nothing major, and he knew with a terrible certainty that his eyes hadn't betrayed him, that what he'd seen, what he'd felt, was even now being shredded in the roaring darkness beneath the train. The cab began to shudder under the bite of the brakes. The tunnel exit in sight, he pulled the train to a halt and reached for the cab's secure radio that would take him to the signalman back at Havant. When the signalman answered, he gave him the train code and location, asked for power isolation, declared an emergency. What's up then? The man wanted to know. The driver blinked still staring ahead, aware of the guard repeating his question on the internal comms. One under, he managed, reaching for the door. Chapter 1 Monday, 11th of July, 2005, 07.53 This time, Faraday knew there'd be no escape. He'd taken to the water an hour or so earlier, finning slowly out of the bay, scanning the reefs below, enjoying the lazy rise and fall of the incoming swell. An evening with a reference book he'd picked up in Bangkok let him put a name to the shapes that swam into view. Beneath him he could see yellow-ringed parrotfish nosing for food amongst the coral, Half a dozen milky-white batfish, stately, taking their time, slowly unfurling like banners. Even for a glorious minute or two, the sight of a solitary clownfish drifting over the underwater meadows of softly waving fronds. The head of the clownfish was daubed with a startling shade of scarlet, but it was the huge eyes, doleful, disconsolate that had Faraday blasting water from his snorkel tube. The little fish reminded him of an inspector he'd once served under in his uniform days. The same sense of tribulation, the same air of unfathomable regret. Laughing underwater, Faraday discovered, wasn't a great idea. Further out, the colours changed, and with the blues and greens shading even deeper, Faraday became aware of the schools of fish beginning to thin. He'd never been this far out, not by a long way, and a lift of his head told him that he must have covered nearly a mile since he'd slipped into the water. He could see the tiny wooden bungalow clinging to the rocks above the tide line. A line of washing on the veranda told him that Edie must have finally surfaced. Shame. Adjusting the mask and clearing the snorkel again, Faraday ducked his head. It was hard to judge distance underwater, but twenty metres down, maybe more, he could just make out a tumble of boulders on the seabed. This, he imagined, would be the point where the coral shallows suddenly plunged away into something infinitely deeper. In the beachside bar, only yesterday, he'd heard a couple of French lads describing a dive they'd just made. Faraday was no linguist, but his French was adequate enough to understand profondeur 
and Rakin. The latter word came with a repertoire of gestures and had raised an appreciative shiver in one of the listening women. Rakin meant shark. Floating on the surface, barely moving, Faraday was overwhelmed by a sense of sudden chill. A mile was a long way out. There were no lifeguards, no rescue boats. Trying to slow his pulse rate, he scanned the depths below him. A thin drizzle of tiny particles was drifting down through the dapple of surface sunlight, down towards the inky blue nothingness. Then, way off to the right, he caught a flicker of movement, the briefest glimpse of something much, much bigger than the carnival of cartoon fish he'd left in the shallows. Faraday shut his eyes a moment, squeezed them very hard, fought the temptation to turn in the water...